0: Uh, Our chapter for today is Hebrews chapter 9. In this chapter, the author is continuing his discussion of how and why Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant for those who trust in him rather than for those who seek salvation through the old covenant through Moses. It's a fascinating chapter that challenges us to think carefully about what it is saying and teaches us uh, a lot about the different covenants in the Bible. Uh, we got a we got a bit to wade through this morning, so hang in there with me, and uh, and we'll hopefully we'll see some great things in the scriptures today. And uh, here and let's just think for care, carefully for a little bit about how the old was always preparing for the new. Uh, the author told us at the at the end of the last chapter that the old covenant was, as they put it in Hebrews eight thirteen, it was becoming old, obsolete, and growing old, becoming obsolete and growing old, and was ready to vanish away. That's what he said in chapter 8. In other words, from the very beginning, the old covenant through Moses was intended to be a temporary one, uh, a temporary arrangement. In that sense, the author says the old covenant was temporary because it was always preparing the way for something better, a new covenant. Um, For that reason, it was futile, for those believers who were tempted to turn away from Jesus to go back to the old covenant, the 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 old covenant was going away. It was always supposed to view it this way: the old covenant was kind of like the scaffolding around the main building that was being built. Uh, the main building, in this case, being the 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 new covenant in Jesus, and the law was like the scaffolding uh, that was while the while the main building was being built, and. No one looks at the scaffolding as the permanent structure, nor um, expects it it always to remain there. One always expects the scaffolding to serve its temporary purpose, and once that purpose is served, to go away that the main building can now do what it was designed and built to do. Well, chapter 9 begins by describing the scaffolding of the old covenant under Moses. There were In verse 1, regulations for worship and the place of worship with all its elements, verses 2 through 4, which included the holy place where the manifest presence of God resided, verse 3. Additionally, there were those who worked within the place of worship, the the first the tent of meeting, the later the temple. Namely, it says, verses 6 and 7, the priests who go regularly into the first section of the temple performing their ritual duties and also the high priest who goes into the holy place, only once a year and not without taking blood to atone for his own sins, for the sins of the people before the holy presence of God. Well, the author of Hebrews, Hebrews tried to describe how these things uh, were, were not the, the real thing that was always being aimed for, but just the scaffolding preparing for the real thing. When he says that all those old covenant sacrifices that were offered in the temple, he says in verse 9, all those sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. All of those things were preparing for, as he puts it in verse 10, the time of Reformation, when the real thing would come. All of those elements in the Old Covenant temple and in the Old Covenant way of worship and relating to God were always pointing forward to the real and greater thing coming in Jesus. Uh, and what the author does for the rest of the chapter is to show how Jesus has enacted, through his own blood, a better and eternal covenant, verse 14. Let's examine how the author creatively demonstrates that. This is an important chapter. It's worth spending uh, a a good amount of time on. The author says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, not only that redeems all those who would come after him in faith, but would also redeem all those who believed and came before him. Verse 15, from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Uh, That's amazing. So that's what we said just yesterday from Hebrews chapter 8. All those sacrifices offered in the old covenant they were pointing forward to they, they they themselves couldn't do anything they were pointing forward to a sacrifice that was coming in Christ and and uh and, and so it was as if it's Romans 3 puts it God was just passing over those sins he wasn't actually forgiving them because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't affect that he was passing over them because he knew The real sacrifice in Christ that could and did pay for those sins was coming. So when Christ died, he was not just dying for those who would come in his lifetime and after, but he was actually paying the penalty for all the sins that came before him as well. It takes some careful sifting through to see how the author demonstrates that reality. Beginning with verse 16, most Bible translations seem to indicate that the author of Hebrews begins talking about a will like, a last will and testament, and how a will is put into effect. Now, I would challenge this translation. I'm not the only one, because the word often translated will here is the Greek word diatheke, which can refer in Greek to a last will and testament, but overwhelmingly refers to a covenant. In fact, most translations tra- translate the same word diatheke as covenant in the previous verse, and also just a few verses later. So I believe that the discussion beginning in verse sixteen is describing the enactment of a covenant, not a last will and testament. And we'll uh, we'll try and demonstrate we'll try to demonstrate why that's the case. Let's take it verse by verse with much careful thought and examination. Stick with me. The author says in verse sixteen, "For where a covenant is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established," and that's taking covenant translated in covenants that are will. Where a covenant is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. Not to get uh, overly technical, but it's important also to know that that, that Greek word here is uh, translated as established. The one who made it must be established. The death of the one who made it must be established is the Greek word pharistai, which can mean represented. So it would say for where a covenant is involved, the death of the one who made it must be represented. In the Bible, for a covenant to be established and enacted, the death of the one taking the on the obligations of the covenant must be represented, symbolizing the, the consequence of violating or breaking the covenant. So verse 17 says, For a covenant takes place only at death. The phrase at death is actually plural in the Greek and could rightly, though graphically, be translated, uh, so it literally says, at deaths. It, it could be uh, um, uh, a phrase like, over dead bodies. Now, why would it say that? Well, the original readers of this letter would have automatically known kind of what he was referring to. All the way back, going all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 15, we see a classic example of the covenant ancient covenant-making ceremony. God had graciously and sovereignly promised unilaterally to bless Abraham, Genesis 12, uh, again in Genesis 15. And Abraham, it says, after God had made those promises to Abraham, very famously, Genesis 15, 6, said that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, So I, you know, uh, but but even though he believed him, he still says in verse 8 he would like some sort of further confirmation. So for that further confirmation, God made a covenant with him, uh, like officially uh, made that that covenant uh, official through a ceremony and uh, went through the covenant-making ceremony with him as a sign that he would keep his promise. What he tells Abraham to do for this ceremony, it's kind of gross. Uh, to some modern readers, he tells Abraham to retrieve, as he puts it in... in uh, Genesis 15, 9 and 10, get a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon, sacrifice them, cut their bodies in half and lay the carcass halves opposite one another with a path to walk between them. Normally the the inferior would undertake the obligation set forth by the superior. So like in human terms, if if, uh, one general and his army uh, fought a battle against another general in his army. The one who conquered the other one, he would set the stipulations of the covenant, right? And the inferior, the one who was just conquered, would have to abide by that. And in this case, God is setting the terms. He's the superior. Abraham, the inferior, is doing what God said, um, and uh, and the inferior would undertake those obligations. And the and the he would not just get the place ready, but he would. Whatever the, whatever the superior said, he said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll uphold my end of the bargain. Um, and, and, the, and the inferior would signify that by walking between the dead animal carcasses, essentially saying, may I become like these dead animals myself if I don't uphold my end of the bargain of this covenant. Astonishingly, though, in Genesis 15, in the covenant God made with Abraham, God, who is the superior one in this covenant, he puts Abraham to sleep in Genesis 15, 12, and then God passes through the animals, uh, symbolized through a, a smoking fire pot, you know, to show God showing his seriousness that he unilaterally would keep this promise to Abraham. You know, this is, this is something that God himself was going to do. So Hebrews 9 is talking about the old covenant that was going away. And the old covenant refers to the covenant that God made with Moses, not the covenant that God made with Abraham. So do we see anything similar to what we just saw with the establishment of the covenant with Abraham? Do we see anything similar to that in the establishment with Moses? Yes, we do. We see it in Exodus 24. The covenant that God made with Moses entailed the giving of the law and the people agreeing to obey it and live by it. So... When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and the rest of the law in Exodus 21 to 23, Moses took it and read it to all the people in Exodus 24. And twice, verses 3 and 7, it says all the people answered with one voice and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So God having given the law to the people uh, and the people having promised to live by it, then the covenant-making ceremony took place. It looked a little different because of than the than what Abraham did, because it involved an entire nation of people. You, you know, it'd be hard for the whole nation of people to pass between uh, dead bodies. You know, later. You know, it, it's a lot of. A lot of people involved, rather than just one man, Abraham. So, But the essential elements are the same. What Moses did was this. He, he instructed certain men to offer animal sacrifices. That's Exodus 24, 5. And then we read Moses in verses, uh, let's see, verses 6 and 8. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood, and he threw it against the wall. Then he took the other half and he threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Well, just like the ceremony with Abraham, the the animals and the blood represented the death of the ones taking on the obligations of the covenant. In this case, the nation of Israel. Therefore, in the case of the old covenant through Moses, the blood was thrown on all the people, representing their deaths if they failed to live in perfect obedience to the law, not just physical deaths. spiritual. This is also precisely the scene that the author of Hebrews has in mind in Hebrews 9 when he says not even the first covenant, that is the covenant through Moses, was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. That's verses 18 through 20 of Hebrews 9. The reason blood was involved in the ceremony was because, he says in verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The problem in the Old Covenant, however, was was that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All the blood offered under the Old Covenant never could take away sins, but was always a reminder of a hope that there was a better blood coming that really could be offered to take away sins. This is the glory of Jesus and the new covenant that he brought about. The author of Hebrews triumphantly says uh, in verse 26 But as it is, he, Jesus, appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. By dying and spilling his own blood, Jesus took on himself the curse uh, that the people of the old covenant deserved for their breaking of the law. Remember, Moses threw the blood on them. Jesus stepped in as their substitute to take that curse of death on himself so that they would not have to and so that their sins could be forgiven and they could be saved. And the same promise and hope is true for us as well. The Old Covenant was just a scaffolding to the glorious and permanent building of the New Covenant through Jesus. The Old Covenant temple representing the presence of God was just the scaffolding of the permanent building of Jesus Christ who is God with us. The old covenant priests were just the scaffolding of the permanent structure of Jesus the greater high priest who now sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. The old covenant sacrifices which could never take away sins were just the scaffolding to the permanent structure of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice offered once to take away our sins forever. Glory to God that he has brought about a salvation so great. All glory to God that he has given us such a marvelous picture many pictures of it and, con- and and has confirmed it in his word. I hope you made it there to the end, and uh, we'll see it tomorrow when we come to Hebrews chapter 10, but for now, that's Hebrews chapter 9.